Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 264 of the Real Life Runners podcast. It's the summer, and we've been getting a lot of questions about running in the heat and humidity. So today, we are going to be replaying an episode from last year all about training for heat and humidity and how to adjust your runs in the summertime or if you live in a hot climate and what you need to know. So stay tuned. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so running in the heat, this is a very, very important topic. Um, It's a little late in the summer. We should have done this probably a little earlier, but hey, here we are, and we're getting it to you when you need it. It's still plenty hot out there, and the the heat's not going away anytime soon. And for those of you who are listening from Australia, just hold on to this one because it's coming. Yeah, I mean, we, down here in Florida, it's August, and August is typically one of the worst months. It's about as hot as it possibly gets. So that's one of the reasons that we are thinking of it now. July was pretty hot, but it wasn't terrible. June was actually more pleasant than I expected it to be. So I think that that's kind of why we're triggering this episode now because it's finally like really starting to get unpleasant down here. Yeah, it's super brutal. Like June was really nice, which for us means that it was like 80 with 85% humidity. I mean, it was probably like 82. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but for us, that's, that's an amazing June, but now it's, you know, we're getting 90 degree days and the humidity is really high. Yeah. So the heat index is in the triple digits. Right. And if it is actually slightly cool, because, you know, the other day I went out and ran in the morning, it was literally 99% humidity according to the weather app. And that's without without rain. Yes. Yeah. So today we're going to talk all about how you can stay safe while running in the heat, okay? Because the last thing we want for you guys is to, you know, undergo any sort of heat-related illnesses because that is definitely not how you want to be spending your summer. No, no. Let's stay safe and let's still actually get ourselves in shape and stay in shape and improve everything. So, all right, let's get rolling here little review of what happens as we exercise. You want to go out and exercise, you need to burn the fuel inside of your body. And it would be great if you could take the fuel inside your body and turn all of that into the motion that's going to drive you down the path or the trail or the road or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that like around 70% or more of that energy when you burn the fuel inside is just leaving your body as heat or at least trying to leave your body as heat. Right. So anytime you exercise, your core body temperature goes up. So basically what your body then does is that your body starts to sweat to try to cool that body temperature down, okay? Your body is amazing. So it does a couple of things. Number one, it diverts more blood to the skin because the blood is what's really carrying the heat. So when you put more of that blood towards your skin, it's trying to get that heat out of the blood and through the skin and just out into the world, okay? So your body's trying to get rid of that heat by putting more blood flow to the skin. So when that happens, there's not as much energy, not as much blood flow going to your muscles. So your muscles therefore have to work harder in order to produce the same effort. Right. And that's, that's the first thing that happens. So you'll notice that if you're ever just outside, forget the exercising portion, just go out on a hot day. You're suddenly like, you get a little flush when you go outside because literally there's more blood just at the at the surface of your skin because it's trying to leave your core and get to your extremities so that it can then leave your body as heat or, and then help cool you down. Yeah, or your cheeks, right? You know, yes. we all have those friends, maybe it's you, that get really red cheeks and faces when they run, right? Yes. And that is your body doing its best to try to get that heat out of itself. Right, that's your body working correctly. Yeah. So way to go. Yeah, so like don't feel bad about your red cheeks. 
cheeks. Your red cheeks are adorable, first of all. Um, but secondly, it's just your body doing what it's supposed to do. Okay, so that's one way that your body tries to get rid of heat. The second way is that you, it stimulates sweating. Okay, so basically... Your body um, starts sweating, which puts moisture on your skin. And when that moisture evaporates, that allows for a cooling sensation, a cooling effect to occur. Right, because once, once the water evaporates off of your skin, then the surface of your skin is cooler than like you know the blood underneath the skin. Mm-hmm. And so then that just it gives this overall cooling sensation. Then the blood just underneath the surface actually is able to essentially transfer its heat to the surface of the skin, which was the goal in the first place. So the sweating and the like the radiation of heat from inside of you kind of work together. So as long as your body's in like decent temperatures where it's like i don't know 60 degrees fahrenheit outside your body can handle most of this through just radiating the heat to the outside world but as the temperature starts cranking up mid 80s 80 somewhere around like 30 ish celsius where you're hitting the like mid 80s and fahrenheit then your body's like, okay, I cannot just radiate heat. I need to start sweating. I need to start doing a lot of it. Right. And it also is, you know, the temperature of the air compared to your body temperature, right? Like if it's cooler outside, it's much easier for you to transfer that heat from your body into the air. If it's hot outside and your body's getting heat from the outside and from the inside, it's going to be much harder for your body to cool itself down. Right, and there's actually some pretty cool studies on this that as the temperature outside gets closer and closer to your actual core body temperature, you just start sweating more because your body is smart enough to realize, I can't radiate heat anymore, so I have to flip to one of my other methods of cooling myself down, and it just starts sweating a lot. Right, so we want to kind of break this down a little bit more into the differences between heat in a dry climate versus running in heat and humidity. Okay, so dry climate, we know a little bit about. We're definitely much more versed in humidity, which we'll be talking about in a second here. I grew up in a dry climate. Exactly, so you know more than I do about this. you know, experientially. Yes. But we we both know what the science says, okay? So essentially what happens in a drier climate, that sweat evaporates before you can even see it. So you don't always feel yourself sweating because you sweat, but then that evaporates so quickly because the air is so dry around you. So like basically what happens is the sweat evaporates almost as quickly as your body's producing it. So you can become dehydrated a lot more quickly because you don't even realize that you're sweating. Right. So a lot of the times if you if you get out there and you're running and whatever and you start sweating, you look down at your shirt, your shorts or whatever, and you're just like, oh, clearly I'm just a sweaty mess. I need to make sure that I get some water in. If it's a longer run, I need some water in during the run. I definitely need to get some water in after I finish running. But if it's really dry outside, you start sweating and poof, it goes away. The only sign that you've been sweating is that you now have like this layer of salt all over your body, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that you have to take care of because you're losing salt as you sweat. So that's one of the things that happens in in a dry environment is you got to make sure that you're keeping track of your likely loss of sweat because you're not visibly going to be able to see it as much. Yeah. So that's tricky. Um, and it's also, you make a, an interesting point about the salt on your skin, right? Because I think all of us have probably experienced that at some point in time and it makes it even more tricky for those of us that live in 
a beach area, right? <laughs> because a lot of times the air, like I know that on Saturday mornings, I love running along the ocean and I don't run on the sand. I run on, you know, the, the road, the sidewalk that's right near the ocean. But with the ocean breeze and everything that's blowing around, there's a lot of salt in the air. So a lot of times I come home with a layer of salt on my skin, but I think it's more from the breeze from the ocean versus like my actual body. It's probably a combination of both, but you don't really know how much is which. <laughs> it's a combination of both. And you can kind of tell because you don't do all of your runs along that. So you can yes. be like, okay, this is how salty I get when I go off on a run and I'm not by the beach. This is how salty I get when I run along the beach. And it yeah. is your long run. So that kind of changes That's things a little bit. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Um, but I mean, pretty much the only time that I've ever done decent running along the beach has also been in a race environment mm -hmm. because there's the A1A race up and down yeah. that path that you run. And I am always a salty mess by the end of that, mm -hmm. but I'm also at race pace. So, yeah. you know, there's yeah, that so at play. Right, exactly. But the issue with humidity, like if you live in a humid region, you basically start sweating as soon as you walk out the door. You know, that's how it is down here in Florida. Like we joke around that like you start sweating from like the front door to your car door, especially if that car is not not inside the garage if that car is parked outside like on the driveway and it's already like 115 degrees in your car you're sweating as soon as you get in the car right so the air is already super saturated with water from the humidity that's what humidity is so what happens is when you're running there's less evaporation occurring because there's too much water in the air so the water can't evaporate from your skin easily so when you don't have that evaporation occurring, the water just stays on your skin or it just drips off and you don't get the same cooling effect from the evaporation, right? That's what helps cool it. It's not the actual sweat itself. I mean, your skin does get a little bit cooler when it is wet, you know, when there's, a, when there's wetness on the skin, but it's really the evaporation of that sweat that causes the major cooling, which you're just not getting. That's why like when you're running in a humid climate, you're just literally dripping wet when you're done with that run or even during. Right, because the sweat has nowhere to go. Yeah. The the air is too filled with water that it can't actually take any of the water off of your body. So you're just dripping sweat and dripping sweat doesn't actually do anything for, for cooling. You did point out that yes, if, if your skin is wet, especially if your skin's wet and you're running along there, the breeze, even in like stagnant air, if you're wet, and running along just the movement of you through the air gives a, a small cooling effect mm -hmm. but there's a reason why your body has flipped over to sweating it's because you're not getting enough of a cooling effect from like convection radiation so you need to cool through evaporation and if it's too humid you can't and your body responds by just sweating more it's like oh sweating's not working i guess i should sweat more because mm -hmm. that's essentially the body's last resort because the other systems aren't working because it's too hot outside. Right. And when you're sweating more, that can easily increase your risk of dehydration. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more later about like the importance of replacing your fluids, but also replacing your electrolytes because that matters also because your electrolytes electrolytes and the sodium balance um, in your skin really plays a role as how your body is able to hold on to those fluids and how quickly you can get dehydrated in the process. Yes. So that's essentially like why you get hot as you run and issues that could come up whether you're running in, in humidity or running in a little bit more of a dry environment. But why does any of it matter? Like why not just finish your run, have a glass of water and off we go with our day. Right. And the issue is that heat and humidity and, and all these things can substantially 
actually affect your performance and how hard it feels to exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really, really important thing to remember. And this is one of the things that we've been telling our athletes on the our training team, the Real Life Runners training team, all summer long is like people are looking at their paces and they're like, I don't understand why am I so much slower now? And the answer is because it's summer, because it's 20, 30, 40 degrees Hot, you know, hotter than it was a few months ago when you were hitting some of those other times. And that is a huge performance factor, okay? So essentially, core body temperature is connected to effort until the temperature is about 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. So if if you go faster, your core body temperature increases. You go even faster, your core body temperature increases even more. And this happens pretty much regardless of the temperature outside. Like the study that I saw basically said is a flat line. As the temperature increases, your core body temperature does not increase until you hit right around like the upper 20s, 30 The study suggested the answer was 30. I looked at the graph. It's quite the scatter of a scatter plot there. So somewhere in the upper 20s for for Celsius, which would put you somewhere around like 80 in Fahrenheit. And then it spikes. Oh, yeah. Like then it just, woo, straight up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the running, your running pace is totally going to be affected as the temperature rises very very significantly. Like Kevin says, it's not a linear progression at all. Okay, so if you figure... At 60 degrees Fahrenheit, okay, there is about a 2 to 3% increase in your running pace, okay, as compared to, like, what, what's the ideal, like 50, 52? Uh, ideal is, like, f- or upper 40s. The ideal marathon pace is roughly in the mid-40s okay. Fahrenheit. Okay, so that's kind of, like, where your body is the most efficient. Yes, okay. I've seen studies saying that it's, like, 40, some, some that say that it's 50, mm-hmm. and I think it depends on the humidity. So yeah. it's somewhere right around there. Right, so if you go up to 60, which is just basically 10 to 15 degrees higher than that, yep. there's already a 2 to 3% increase in your running pace. So if you are able to hold an 8-minute pace at the ideal running temperature, if you go up to 60, you're actually at like 812. And then if you go all the way up to 80 degrees, okay, that pace is affected 12 to 15%. So if you're able to run an 8-minute per mile pace at around that like upper 40-degree range, upper 40s Fahrenheit, okay, you're really running a 906 in 80 degree weather that's the equivalent right so if you try to maintain your eight minute pace suddenly it's a whole heck of a lot harder way harder and that's one of the biggest reasons why when you're training in heat and you're training in humidity or the combination of heat and humidity training by effort is key and not looking down at your watch and judging yourself being like man that last mile was super slow of course it was slow it's hot outside right and then the humidity compounds this effect even more so if you are in an area or have a day where you your humidity is somewhere in the 60 to 90 percent range what about 99? 99 is even more. <laughs> right? But we're in the 60 to 90% range, that can increase your heart rate by at least 10 beats per minute. So an eight-minute mile might feel like a six-minute mile, right? Like because of the difference in your heart rate and the difference in the amount of effort that you're put, putting forth, that RPE, your rating of perceived exertion, how hard that run feels, okay? So just by the nature of it being more humid, your heart rate is automatically 
automatically going to increase, which is going to make the run feel much harder, even at a slower pace. Yes, which is why heart rate training over the summer, I'm just going to go ahead and make the, the big, bold statement of it's, it doesn't work. Ooh, that's a blanket statement. It doesn't. Heart rate training, if you're running in a very hot or humid or combination environment, mm-hmm. does not work for summer training. And be, like it's it's not going to work. And I, I think I'm essentially quoting somebody that I kind of follow on Twitter. He's out of Houston. He mm-hmm. goes, heart rate training doesn't work over the summer. This was my easy run this morning. And this heart rate was like 175. And he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. And it was like an easy jog for him. And the heart rate just shot through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it doesn't work because your heart responds differently in that level of heat and humidity. You're like, oh, well, that just means that I need to slow it down some more. Like if it feels fairly easy then it's still a fairly easy run. You just might need to bring in different nutrition, different levels of hydration. You might need to actually take in some water during the run that you're not used to taking in, Mm -hmm. but just listen to your body. That's really important is just listening to how hard does this actually feel and not pretending, not toughing up and being like, oh no, it's, it's summer. So I just, it's always harder over the summer. Actually listen to your body and then kind of find your pace from there. Yeah, I think it's a, that's a very, very good thing to point out. And I also think that it's important for us to remember that we as real-life runners are different than elite athletes. And that is who a lot of research is done on, right? Because those are the people that they like to study. So there is, in general, a greater decrease in running speed for us as everyday real-life runners versus elite runners because they're just out there. Like their bodies are so well acclimated to so many different types of running conditions because they do so much running. They're also acclimated to, I I feel like, higher levels of pain and just dealing with it. For sure. But like if you think about it, you know, just, okay, just take an elite athlete that's running like 100 miles a week. Sure. Right? And if you have an everyday runner that's running maybe 30 miles a week, right? Just that alone, just the fact that they're running over three times as much is going to make their body more efficient at everything when it comes to running. Ah, so you're saying that they've essentially adjusted to the heat better, more thoroughly than the the lower mileage runner. I think, but it's not just adjusting to the heat, it's just adjusting to the stress of running. Sure. Like their bodies are just so much better at handling the stress like their you know core body temperature probably doesn't rise as quickly as the everyday runner because they've just they've done it so much right i want to look at this from the other perspective of during a race your elite runners are out there for a far shorter period of time Mm -hmm. like if two people head out and run a marathon and one of them's doing it in 210 and the other one's doing it in 410 yeah who's experiencing the heat better right like that's twice the amount of time that you're out there. That is a lot more exposure to a whole heck of a lot of, of heat. Mm-hmm. And when the body really starts breaking down, tends to be after that, after you've crossed that two hour barrier. Yeah. So when you've got, you know, elite male athletes out there running the two hour barrier and then they're pretty much done versus people who are out there for three and a half, four, four and a half, five hours, Mm -hmm. that's a lot longer of exposure to this. So it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense that their pace would fall off even more drastically, which is what the studies suggest is as the temperature cranks up, elites drop off, even on like marathon races, they drop off like four to five percent. Whereas your more everyday non-elite, non-sub-elite, which is where a lot of the studies come from, drop off something like 
15 to 20%. Yeah. Because they're just out there for so much longer and it's hard to deal with the conditions. Absolutely. And I would also point out the fact that most everyday runners are running in that larger group, right? Like when you're a mid pack or back of the pack or even the front of the pack runner, like, but not like but, in that elite few. But the pack right. runner is if the you're key. in the pack, right? There's a lot more runners around you, which is just automatically decreasing the amount of airflow you get versus the people that are at the front of the race, right? There might be that lead pack of like five guys, yep. but you know, ultimately there's, there's not many people in that level. Right. And so the, the one thing I saw said that during large marathon road races, that the airflow within like the crowd is 50% decreased. Wow. And that is substantial when it's really, really hot. Yeah. Now suddenly like take a a breeze around you and cut it in half. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, on a really hot day, the difference between having like a nice breeze and having no breeze it could be all the difference. Yep. Put yourself in a pack and the breeze disappears. Yeah, then that breeze is critical for sure. Um, another thing we want to talk about right here is the differences between genders when it comes to training in the heat. And I have been doing a lot of reading and research lately about just gender differences just in general in training. Um, but specifically to this episode, we'll talk about gender differences in how our bodies deal with the heat as we train. Okay. And there's a great book by Stacy Sims called Roar. If you haven't read it yet and you're a female athlete, I highly recommend it. Um, there's a lot of really great information about like how our hormones affect us and how our bodies respond differently than men. But there's a couple things we wanted to point out today in this episode. So for one thing, women in general, we handle heat a lot differently, more differently than men, okay? Number one, we sweat less than men. Men just sweat more. They actually have more sweat glands per square inch on their body than women do. Want to create a random hypothesis as to why that is? Sure. What is it? No, do you have one? Oh, no, I don't know. I'm just so curious. Why Why would men have more sweat glands? I mean, sure. I mean, I mean you just do the study. You, you check some anatomy. I mean, and you, you could go an evolutionarily and, like, talk about how men were the ones that were out hunting and gathering while the women were, were the ones that were, like, you know, taking care and tending to the home and the family so and men, the tribe. men were inherently more active, so they needed to sweat more? Possibly. Okay. I mean, that would be just off the top of my head. If you're going to put me on the spot, that's one of the things I would guess. I was going to go with men are furrier, so they have to sweat more to deal with the extra body hair. Okay, there's that too. <laughs> or men are more hot-headed. Is that a better Sure, is that, that will also thing? work nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe women are more hot-headed. I'm not sure. It depends. Now I've got the picture of the guy from uh, the Emotions movie with the fire just shooting out of his yes, head. Yes, Inside out. Yes, inside out. Yeah, that's a great one. Okay, so as women, we sweat less. Okay, we have fewer sweat glands per square inch than men. Our sweat is more diluted. Okay, so, so your sweat is watery, watery. Right. So we lose more sweat, where and and then we hold on to more of the electrolytes in general. Interesting. Okay, so we're we're more apt to lose water more quickly. Um, also, our sweat glands are more distributed in our arms and our hands. Whereas men have more sweat glands in the torso. So if you think about the size of those body parts, right? If men have more in their torso, there's a lot more sweating that they're able to do versus women who have small hands and small arms that are trying to get rid of all of the sweat. 
I don't know, Angel. You got some solid guns there, so you got a, <laughs> you have plenty of area in the bicep region there where you, you go. are going to be able to dissipate some sweat. There we go. My <laughs> bicep scores. That's funny because they don't really sweat that much. I mean, they do, but you know what I mean. So anyway, another thing that um, makes women different than men is that we start sweating later than men okay men start sweating a lot sooner it takes women longer to start sweating when we're out doing physical activity all right so there's got to be like a gradient on this of not just like a black and white men do this women do this Mm -hmm. where there's got to be sort of like a middle line because i know when i started running when i was much much younger I used to be able to go to the gym, I'd hop on a treadmill, and granted, it was inside and air-conditioned, but I could hop on a treadmill and run for 30, 40 minutes, and I could come off and barely have broken a sweat at all. Yeah. Well, different people sweat differently anyway, and, okay. and that's just the difference be- between humans, right? Like, so in general, there are these differences between men and women, but then there are just people that are heavier sweaters in general than others, Okay, fair right? enough. Like, you're just not a heavy sweater. But there's a lot of men that are. Is it also testosterone driven? Because when I got into when I really got into running, I was still like thirteen, fourteen. Mm. So I would have to look into that. I, I can find that answer, but I don't know it. I'm curious on that one yeah. because I I certainly I mean at this point one one it's a whole lot more humid here than when I started running. Mm-hmm. But I mean I'll sweat three houses from where I start. Now. I mean I would guess that it would be, but who knows? Because you know with women there there is def- definitely fluctuations in how much we're able to sweat during different phases of our cycle. Oh, that was my next question. Yeah. So it, depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle, in your monthly cycle, okay, we have what, what are called high hormone phases and low hormone phases. So depending on what our levels of estrogen and progesterone are, our bodies deal with the heat and sweat differently in those different hormone phases as well. That's interesting. Yeah. So there very well could be the same sort of hormonal link in men. I'll have to look into that. As you get the boost in testosterone, it's possible that also helps you increase your levels of sweating. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So just, these are things to just keep in mind. Okay. Like as a woman, it's even more important for you to be aware of these adaptations that we're going to be talking about in a little bit here about how to stay safe in the heat, okay? Because you just cannot dissipate the heat as well in your body as your male counterpart can. And that's okay. Like, that's totally okay. But the the power lies in the knowledge, right? Once we know it, then we can prepare for it, we can expect it, and we can have a plan on how we want to deal with it. Excellent. All right. So let's kind of quickly go through our next section here on some heat-related conditions that come up. That we want you to avoid. Yes. Try to avoid these things. We'll, uh, we'll keep increasing the severity, and I don't, I don't think we need to bog down on this, but let's cover some issues that can come up. Yeah. So the first issue comes up with some dehydration and usually issues in electrolyte balancing is you get some muscle cramps. You've been out there for a while, you've been taking in like just straight water so your electrolytes are off, or you haven't been taking in any fluids and it's just messing up all sorts of levels and balances in your body, and muscles just start cramping up on you. And this isn't a side stitch. This is like your calves are seizing on you and mm-hmm. you, you go to take a longer step and whoop, there, now your hamstring is just tied up, like right. that level of muscle cramp. Yeah, and dehydration can also lead to things like dizziness and fatigue and mental fog, okay? So that's kind of level one is that dehydration. There's three three main levels here. Level two would be heat exhaustion, okay? Heat exhaustion exhaustion would cause a major drop in performance. So symptoms of heat exhaustion also include dizziness, headache, 
nausea. Your skin can feel like cold and clammy. You can start profusely sweating, like overly sweating. Um, and this is when you, like when you get into heat exhaustion, your core body temperature is above 104 degrees. Okay. So that's where we start getting into that danger zone. And that's where the performance also substantially mm-hmm. drops off. Your body is actually really freakishly able to handle higher yeah. levels of core body temperature than normal. When you're exercising. When exercising. Yeah. Like, it, it'll bring itself back down, and it's got all these methods of bringing mm-hmm. itself back down. But it's it's that, like, 104 degrees that your body's just like, okay, this is not working anymore, and you're dizzy, and you might start seeing the stars. Yeah. Like, that's kind of almost moving to the next level. Yeah, and when you if you ever stopped a run or if you've and felt really cold after, Afterwards, or even if you're feeling cold while you're running, that is a major warning sign, okay, that you really need to get hydrated and you need to do so quickly. Yeah, goosebumps. If, yeah, if, goosebumps. If you are working out and you suddenly start sweating a ton and goosebumps, you've moved from mm-hmm. working out and sweating in the heat to heat exhaustion. And it is not a far jump from heat exhaustion to level three, which is yeah. really dangerous. Right. But I just want to point out real quick here, like this is one of the reasons that you should never exercise, especially in the heat, but really ever exercise when you have a fever, okay? Because you, if you already start with a higher core body temperature, especially if it's anything over 100, and you start exercising, your core body temperature is going to go up. So your risk of heat-related injuries and diseases and illnesses are, not really diseases, but illnesses, is much, much higher, okay? So if you have a fever, you should not be exercising. Let me just make sure to point that out. Excellent sidebar. Level three. All right, level three, heat stroke. This is where your core body temperature has now risen above 105, which is why I said it's not a large jump from heat exhaustion where it's at 104. It's another degree higher, and you've moved from profuse sweating to you're not sweating anymore. Instead of dizzy, you're now very disoriented. Your movements are super clumsy. There's a lot of confusion going on. You are not moving correctly anymore. Yeah, you need immediate medical attention when you get to this point, okay? You need to get that body temperature cool and as quickly as possible, right? So you want to get into a cold bath. You want to, if you have a friend, um, this is something like if you can get them into like cold water, this is exactly what you want to do. If not, call EMS, okay? Like heat stroke is a very dangerous um, condition that can lead to death. And God forbid, we, nobody obviously wants that. No, it can lead to death, leads to brain damage. I was watching yeah. the uh, the video that we have to watch every year to be certified to coach. Yep. And uh, I was watching one on heat illness today. And they said if someone starts showing these symptoms, you get them into an ice bath as mm-hmm. quick as possible. Right. And if you don't have an ice bath that you can get them into, then you grab the bags of ice and you shove them into under the arms and into the groin. Because mm-hmm. that's that's your best bet. And try to cool them as rapidly as possible. Right, or and in a shower. They reiterate over and over in the video, seconds are counting at this point. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've been in this point. <clears throat> it's, it's not a fun place to be. Yeah, you personally? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've passed out from heat before, yep. you know, twice in my life. And it's definitely a scary place to be because once was at the beach. Um, once, once I was in middle school, and the second time I was at the beach with friends, and I could feel myself, like, just getting dizzy, and I, like, started to black out, and... 
and I like went to sit down on a bench and then when I woke up and opened my eyes there was people standing over the top of me um lifeguards and firemen yep, yep. um and I had no idea what had happened and then I like thought about it and I like came to but that was like the biggest thing like they were getting fluids into me they were trying to get my body temperature back down because I was just at the beach with my friends and who knows what my body temperature was on that kind of day yeah I was running down the final straight of a of a cross-country race mm-hmm. it was the race was on the golf course and they had had the sprinklers on that morning which is fine it's a golf course put the sprinklers on but then the temperature quickly came out the sun came out and so now all mm. of the the water that they've hit the golf course with on sprinklers is now just kind of floating in the 15 feet right above the golf yeah. course so you're just running through a sauna so i like crossed the finish line and passed out my next memory is waking up at the tent with my coach shoving a bag of ice into my running shorts <laughs> Thank you, Coach Ward. <laughs> That's not ever where you want to be. And I'm back. I'm yeah. okay. <laughs> it's a shrinkage factor. <laughs> um, so um, those are some of the dangers of running in the heat. Okay, so don't allow yourself to get to that point. And if you ever do start feeling those symptoms, please stop running and do take the steps to cool your body down. It's not worth running through those kinds of things. It's not worth the risks that you're taking, okay? On the other hand, let's flop it over to some good things, okay? Some advantages of running in the heat um, because heat training can be really good for your body, especially if you have a race that you're planning on running that's in a hot location or, you know, a destination race, especially if it's somewhere that you're not used to you know, living, like if you're traveling for a race, it's going to be hot. You need to acclimate your body to that heat before you just decide to go out and jump into that race. Like that's not going to go that well for you. Yeah. I mean, there was, uh, we're going back a few years on this one, but Frank Shorter used to train in two places. Mm -hmm. He would travel between Colorado and Florida to train. He would train at altitude and he would train in humidity. That Mm -hmm. was basically his training. He would bounce between those places and then race wherever it was that he was racing because both of are giving you crazy adaptations and there are some people that suggest that altitude training doesn't work for everyone so if that doesn't work another way to add an additional stress to your training is essentially heat and humidity training. absolutely so when you train in the heat your body becomes more efficient at handling the heat okay so when you um are in the heat day after day after day your body becomes much better at getting rid of that heat within okay that core body temperature that's raising your body um, your body temperature up that heat your body has to get rid of that and it becomes much more efficient because it has to do it all of the time okay so your body gets better at improving the blood flow to your muscles and your skin you do start sweating sooner to help keep your core body temperature low so remember earlier I said we as women tend to start sweating later okay by training in the heat you start to train your body to start sweating earlier and sooner, okay? So even though we have that kind of natural disadvantage, we can help to, you know, accommodate for that by training in the heat, right? Going out and like, you know, feeling that it's hot outside and be like, oh, I'm not going to run because it's hot out. I'm going to go back on the treadmill. You're missing out on some training benefits there that you could gain. 
Right. Sometimes it is the safer call for sure to go on the treadmill. For sure. Especially Definitely. depending on what time of day you're running. Depending on the time of day, depending on like the uh, the heat conditions outside. Like mm-hmm. if you got poor air quality and it's hot and humid, it just if you can head back inside on a treadmill, yeah. make, make that happen. Right. Um, but there are definitely advantages. You can also train your body to sweat out less electrolytes. So you pointed that women naturally sweat a more watery sweat. Mm-hmm. So guys can gain this advantage by training in the humidity mm-hmm. of where they can actually sweat a, a fewer electrolytes, a, a less right. salty sweat, and hold on to some of those electrolytes. Right. And the electrolytes are important because it helps your body hold on to more water and more fluid. So that's why those electrolytes are so important. They also help your muscles actually do what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. If you don't have the right chemicals in there, your muscles literally can't fire mm-hmm. because you've sweated out all of the chemicals that you need to kind of transfer from one side of the muscle to the other yeah. so that it goes. The calcium, the potassium, the sodium, yeah, those are all very important for muscle function as well. Um, also, your body will produce more blood so it doesn't have to share as much between the skin and the muscles, right? Because we Excellent. talked about earlier how your body's kind of in this war of like, I've got this blood and I want to send it to the skin because I need to offload this heat but I also need to send blood to the muscles because they're exercising and working really hard and like your your body's like I'm not I'm not sure what to do right and so it just ends up um, doing it less efficiently but when you train in the heat your body just starts producing more blood you actually your blood volume will go up so that you have more blood to both be more efficient at getting rid of the heat and supplying the working muscles. So then if you can take yourself from the hot and humid environment, and you pointed out if you go on a destination race that is in a hot and humid environment, make sure that you acclimate to it. If you do the reverse, Mm -hmm. if you've trained hot and humid, and suddenly you go to an environment that is not blazing hot and humid, you've essentially done, I mean, it was an old school performance enhancing supplement where you would just add blood to it. It was, it yeah. was blood doping. Mm-hmm. Now you have a greater volume of blood that carries a greater amount of oxygen and you can perform at a higher level. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why when I ran the Napa to Sonoma half marathon a few years ago, yes. it felt so easy for me. Yes. Like, and I shouldn't say it's easy. It was still a half marathon, but like I felt very comfortable and ran a very fast pace during that. And I just felt so comfortable because that race was the middle of July, I believe, right? I think it was like mid the second week of July. Um, so I had been training in the Florida heat for April, May, June, yep. you know, and doing the long runs and getting my body used to that. And then I, we went there and I want to say it was like in the fifties at the starting line. That I remember right. being cold at the starting line. Um, so the whole race was like in the fifties and sixties and it was so lovely. And like, I, I just felt amazing it, it, during that race. Plus she had a bottle of wine before the race started. So she was doing great. No, but I did have some wine tastings <laughs> along the way. Okay. My, one at mile seven, <laughs> there was like two, I think along the way. That was Fantastic really destination no. race. Yes. I waited mm-hmm. for the wine until after the race. Well, during and after, uh, but definitely not before. Um, and Jet, that's an excellent point that we didn't make. Alcohol definitely does not improve your um, body's ability to deal with the heat. No. In fact, it does the opposite. No, complete opposite. Yeah. No, alcohol is definitely not helping you. Neither is caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who like to get up and make sure that you get in your cup of coffee before you go out and run, if you... Especially if it's hot coffee. Right. So if you... Hot coffee is going to... 
increase your core body temperature before you even head out the door. So if you really need that caffeine and you're the person who's like, no, I have a cup of coffee every single time, it's probably not going to have a negative effect on you. But if you hit like race day and you're like, oh, no, no, I've heard that caffeine really helps the performance on race day it is likely to have a negative effect on you if you're not used to taking in that caffeine and suddenly you bring it on a hot and humid day, it's going to lead to very likely GI issues. GI issues and also an elevated heart rate, yep. right? Because caffeine is a stimulant. So your heart rate is already going to be higher um, at the start and, and during the race so that when your body starts to get tired and your heart rate just naturally starts to increase, it's already, if it starts 10 beats higher than it you know, would have normally started, then it's just putting you into that orange and red zone a lot sooner. Yeah. So caffeine and alcohol kind of no nos on the whole uh, training in the heat. Training in the heat. But yeah, I think that that's an important thing though, too. If you do want to have coffee and if you're new, are used to having coffee um, before your training runs or before your races, maybe consider making it iced coffee. Okay. Because that's going to get us into one of our tips here for um, training in the heat and humidity. Yes. How to safely train. We got a handful of All right, we got 10, tips 10 tips. Okay. How to safely train. So we've given you the background. We're going to run through these 10 tips pretty quickly here. So number one, stay hydrated. Okay. That is a no brainer. We've talked a lot about hydration already. You want to aim. Well, first of all, you want to start with a full tank. Okay. So you always want to try to prehydrate as much as possible. That doesn't mean chug a 32 ounce container of water and then go out on a run five minutes later. Okay. Nope. There's going to be a lot of sloshing and side stitches and cramps there. But what you can do, especially if you have a run the next morning, especially if you have a long run the next morning, is you can preload the body with fluids the night before. Okay. So drinking saltier fluids like broth, um, but the night before will basically help your body to hold on to more fluid. So you're starting the run the next morning with a full tank. Right. And then make sure that as you run, especially if it's really hot out that you're taking in, and this seems like a lot of water, but it is four to eight ounces for every 15 to 20 minutes of running in the heat. Yeah. And it depends, you know, on what you, that's, that's a great recommendation. The other thing you can think about is it's basically saying the same thing. It's like 12 ounces every 45 minutes. I, I like to think of it that way just because my handheld water bottle is 14 ounces. So I think that I need to basically go through that every 45 to 60 minutes. Um, in order to keep my levels high enough so I'm staying hydrated. Yeah, I don't like drinking large amounts of water in one thing as I go off and run. Um, So I've got the handheld. I just try and take a, a drink of it every mile or so so that I can get myself through it. Exactly. That's what I try to do too. Um, And it's something that like I have definitely had to get used to because I don't really like having things in my hands um, when I run. So if you are in a hot and humid climate, we definitely recommend starting to try to get used to it. You know, there's lots of different options. There's handhelds, there's um, the fuel belts where the, you have the, like the two little water bottles in that go around your waist. There's the packs, the backpacks, the vests. There's a lot of different options. So you might want to try um, carrying water with you along the run. And if you can't do that, make sure that you plan your run around water fountains or even stash water on your route. I've definitely run on early on Sunday mornings and passed clearly stashed water bottles. Oh yeah. Like definitely Mm -hmm. like where I've passed the same exact water bottle at like four times at different places on the run. I'm like Mm -hmm. that. Someone just dropped out four different water bottles there. Like they're not just like, you know, the, the plastic water bottles. Like it was somebody's water bottles. 
they put them out there. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Which is fantastic. You know, I, I know that you used to do like uh, long runs around the city and you would run by our friend's house and ask them to just put a water bottle out by the mailbox. By their mailbox. You. Yes. Yeah. They always had a, uh, one sitting in the shade right next to their mailbox, mm-hmm. which was great. Now yeah. I've got a handheld. I feel a little bit more in control that yeah. way. I, I know that I've got it on me. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, another thing you can do is to um, what's called pre-cooling, okay? So what you can do is basically try to decrease your body temperature before you head out for the run, okay? So this is where your iced drink, coffee came in. This is where my iced coffee came in, right? So ice slushies or like a, drinking a really cold drink before you head out helps to lower that core temperature um, and and make sure that your body temperature is a little bit lower before you start. Right, and... Iced coffee is good, just cold beverages is good, but something that you're taking in that is actually ice, which Mm -hmm. is why slushies, it's literally, there's chemistry behind it that your body having to actually melt the ice inside of yourself Mm -hmm. is going to actually lower your core temperature more than just cold water. Yeah. And if it's um, an event that you're training for, like obviously it's one thing if it's just your normal everyday Tuesday run, Um, but if it's an event and a race that you're training for, you want to try to stay out of the heat as much as possible the 24 hours before that event. Okay. You want to try to stay in the cool area air, in the cool water, in the air conditioning, whatever it is, um, for the 24 hours before so that you're, you don't have that elevated body temperature going in. Excellent. All right. So that was sort of one and, and a bonus in there of stay hydrated and some pre-cooling tips. Tip two, run early, run late. Avoid the midday sun. That is when it is the hottest. Yeah. Uh, number three, run in the shade. Okay. If you do have to run outside, make sure that you plan your run ahead of time and pick routes that are tree lined if possible. Okay. Um, this is one of the great things about trail running because oftentimes trail running, um, is more shaded. There's more trees and, um, there's just a lot more protection from the sun. The second thing about trail running that's really beneficial is that it is dirt. It's a natural surface because concrete and asphalt, if you're running it just outside on sidewalks and streets, that basically absorbs the heat and then transmits more of that heat back to you. Whereas if you're running out on dirt paths and natural trails, you're not getting that same transfer of heat back into your body. Right. The the dirt will simply absorb, whereas the uh, the concrete and the asphalt will absorb and then radiate back up. Yeah. Which is why I'm not super excited that our school just repaved our parking lot. Yeah. But it is, it is black and it is fresh and it is really hot just walking on it. Yeah. And if you can't avoid the midday sun, if you have to run in the middle of the day and you don't have shade available a treadmill is a a good option on some days you know we don't recommend running all of your runs on a treadmill especially if you are training for a race that you are going to run outside it's important for you to get used to running outside Um, but there are some days that you just can't get it in earlier you can't get it in late and you have to go at a certain time and it's going to be much safer for you to do that run on a treadmill in air conditioning Versus just trying to get out in the midday sun and get it done outside. All right, tip number four, wear performance fabric, avoid cotton. Put on some moisture wicking, some lighter colors. This is crucial for really 
all of the clothes that you're wearing, but the closer it is to your body, the more. So sports bras should be avoiding cotton. Shorts, whatever the liner of your shorts is. Socks are super critical in this one, especially if you're in the very humid environment where the so- the sweat is not evaporating off of you because it tends to pool up as it, the sweat is just dripping down your legs. Now your socks are soaking wet at the mm-hmm. end. So however nice and, and wicking your socks are, if you're just forming pools inside of your shoes, eventually you're, you're going to have some issues here. Yeah, and if you're in a really hot and humid environment, consider changing your socks mid-run, okay, if, yes. if it gets that bad. Like, I know that um, I've had friends that have done marathon training in the summertime down here, and that's what they had to do. They they have to change midway through their runs, especially if they're doing, like, a, an 18 to 20 miler. They change their socks. Sometimes they change their shoes. They change their shorts because of the chafing and the other issues and that pooling because if your socks are really wet, that can lead to blisters and skin breakdown, which is not what you want as a runner. Right, and kind of in the same vein here is some of the anti-chafing products that are on the market. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to name a few of them because they differ depending on what country you are in. Um, I know that some of the ones that we used to recommend apparently you can't get over in the UK. So find some good quality anti-chafing products um, and put them on spots that that are prone to, that are essentially your hot spots. Especially if you are uh, sweating out a lot of salt, that's going to cause a lot of friction as the run gets longer and longer. Yeah. Um, Number five is use sun protection, okay? If you, this includes both sunscreen, especially if you're running in the sun, because you want to avoid sunburn at all costs, because if your skin gets burned, that increases the thermal strain on your body, okay? You guys, if you've ever been sunburned before, you know how hot you feel, right? Like, even when you're inside and you, if you touch your skin, your skin is still hot and radiating heat, okay? So avoid sunburn. So put some sunscreen on. Um, Long sleeves, like long sun shirts, can also be really helpful because this helps to protect the skin from the sunburn, okay? Especially the the shirts that have the SPF already built into them. Um, And then it can also help to keep your skin cooler because when you sweat, um, your sleeves basically become wet. So now you have something wet against your skin, which helps your skin to stay cooler. Right. And so you might be thinking to yourself, there's no way that I'm putting on long sleeves when I head out to run in the hot and the humid. That seems ridiculous. Um, The race that just happened, what, a couple of weeks ago, the Badwater 135, Mm -hmm. that is, it, it runs through Death Valley. Which, in case you're not sure, Death Valley is hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the temperatures are like 130 degrees. Like there are people like before the race starts, there are people that get there the day before and they do the classic like, "Can I fry an egg on the road?" And the answer is yes, you can mm-hmm. because well, the air is 130, the asphalt's like 200. It's so crazy. it's like if you stand still for too long, your shoes will melt into the asphalt. And most of them are wearing long sleeves. Almost all of them are wearing long sleeves and hats with like the flaps that are going to cover their neck. Yep. Many of them are wearing pants and not just a pair of shorts out there. Mm-hmm. So having some extra clothing on there actually kind of helps because then that gets wet and it helps dissipate the heat. Right. And then you can actually even pour water on yourself too. Yes. So you can 
purposely and intentionally get your clothing wet to help keep your skin cooler. Okay. Number six, wear visors instead of hats because hats can trap in the heat. All right. Either one is actually pretty good because both hats and visors help to keep the sun off your face. And again, going back to our last point of using sun protection, hats and visors are a really good form of sun protection. But I think that visors, because they, you know, um, show the top of your head, it basically allows your body to dissipate more heat through the, through your skull, through the top of your head. However, if you do not have hair there to protect your skull, you're probably going to definitely, probably going to definitely, (laughs) probably definitely put a hat on, put a hat on. Okay. Because it's more important for you to protect your skin than to dissipate that little extra bit of heat. Yeah, no, I, I rock a hat almost every day that I go out and run in the middle of the afternoon, like Mm -hmm. a crazy person. All right. So number seven, um, cold towel or a cool water dip both before and after your run before will help cool you down pre-cooling the pre-cooling that we've covered and after to make sure that you're not overheated this i mean we've talked before of if you're in that like heat exhaustion level bringing down that core body temperature before you're in the danger zone but this also works afterwards to just kind of help cool your body back down and this is especially important for women as well okay because we as women like our bodies when we are done exercising our body is basically trying to continuously bring down our core body temperature so it's sending all that blood back to our skin because now we've stopped running all right so our body's like okay i don't need the blood at the muscles anymore let's get all the blood to the skin so that we can get rid of this heat as much as possible so by cooling the skin by like going into a cold shower or a pool or something like that you're basically helping your body to divert that blood away from the skin back to those muscles so that your body can kick start the repair process Right. And uh, a safety point on this one is don't put a cold towel or a cold pack or ice water or whatever on the back of your neck. This it feels used to be so a, good, I though. know it feels amazing because it tricks your brain into thinking that you're cooler than you actually are. Yeah. So even though you're not actually cooling down, your brain now thinks that you are because you actually cooled your brain down. Yeah. Like you've hit your brain stem. You can, if you, if it's your lower neck, like more near your shoulders, it's not as bad. If it's right up at like the base of your skull, that's the area you want to avoid. Right. Cause you've tricked your brain into thinking that you're cooler than you actually are. So it will stop doing all of the things that it should be doing to help actually cool your body down. Right. Okay. Number eight is to run by effort and not by pace. Okay. Like we already discussed, running feels much harder in the heat so this is when exact paces are much less important especially if you are training for a race that's a couple months out right like if you're training in the summer and you've got a race in the fall where it will most likely be cooler those hitting those exact paces are not as important in the summertime okay running by effort is a much more efficient and pleasant way to train okay because if you're not hitting those paces in the summer it can really do a number on your mental game too, right? You can start being like, oh my gosh, I'm not even hitting these paces. I don't even think I'm going to be able to do this. Like it'll start to kind of cut down on your confidence level going into that race. Right. And I mean, I'm starting to hear more and more stuff coming out from various coaches that suggest regardless of whether the further away you are from your goal race, the more effort-based your training should be mm-hmm. and the, the less pace pre- pace specific, pace precise. I mean, pacing. we've been saying that for years, Yes, you know, so... For sure. Uh, Number nine. Slow down. 
It kind of is related to number eight of Run by Effort, but, it, you know... It deserves its own point. It really does. Slow it down. It's hot outside. Mm-hmm. Let's play this thing safe, especially if it's an easy run. Slow it down. Make it easy. Take walking breaks if you need to. Completely. It's hot outside. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're off on a long run, as as we point out in so many of our training plans, the point of a long run is time on the feet, not the speed that you're doing it. Right. So make sure that it is nice and relaxed and, and pull back. And finally, number 10... When it's although it is very good for you to train in the heat and so that your body can make those adaptations when you're not running and not training you want to sleep in very cool temperatures okay you don't want to be sleeping in the hot uh, environment all right you want to sleep in colder conditions you know turn that AC down so that your body can be cooler at night because that helps to promote more optimal recovery while you're sleeping. Right. And so if you're out there training in the heat, it's best to make sure that you are optimizing your recovery. Sleep is one of the primary ways to optimize your recovery and sleeping in cool temperatures Mm -hmm. optimizes sleep. Absolutely. So guys, get out there run in the heat okay just be safe while you're doing it um find us over on social media at real life runners let us know which of these tips you found the most helpful and as always thank you for spending this time with us this has been the real life runners podcast episode number 264 now get out there and run your life